Our scripture reading, our first scripture reading comes from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The next scripture comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious God, as Lent begins, we turn to you with a desire to walk ever closer with you. May these words we hear this morning transform the way we live. Amen. How would you answer the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? I suspect that even just in this sanctuary alone, there would be countless different answers to this question. Some of us might give a list of beliefs. Perhaps we would offer the Apostles' Creed as something that we need to believe in order to be a Christian. Others of us might offer a story about a specific time and specific place when we experienced God in a powerful way and prayed a certain prayer to receive Jesus into our hearts. Still, others would offer a list of do's and don'ts, actions that define how a Christian is called to live. All of these would be valid answers to the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? The Bible also offers us a simple story where the disciples are going about their day fishing and Jesus approaches them and says, come, follow me. According to this account, being a Christian is, it's in its most basic form is about simply following Jesus to walk with Jesus in his ministry. Yes, as we follow Jesus, we will learn the creeds. We will do justice and mercy. But before we know and do any of that, it is about simply walking with Jesus. Now, I have a, a confession to make as we begin this sermon series about walking with Jesus. I am a couch potato. I would much rather spend my free time watching a good movie than going outside for a walk. In fact, I really despise walking. I hate walking so much that I asked Stacy countless times to let me buy this electric skateboard that I can use to scoop myself around if I have ever um, have to walk further than where my car is parked. So Whenever we go, also, whenever we go grocery shopping, I still ride on the back of the shopping cart whenever I can, um, so I don't have to walk. That's how much I hate walking. So, Stacy has to force me to walk with her, because just about the only time I do go out and walk on my own is to walk our dog, Brighton, 
on his, um, you know, his bathroom walks. I don't like walks probably because I just get tired really easily. And I get tired very easily because I am out of shape. So it's a continuous loop. I don't walk because I'm out of shape. And I'm out of shape because I don't walk. I do notice the downside of this because whenever uh, we go on vacation to Japan or anywhere else that where walking is the common and only way to get around, it's hard for me to keep up with the people that I'm with. It would be helpful if I was just in better shape. Likewise, if we want to walk with Jesus, we need to be spiritually fit to walk with Him. Jesus may take us places that we want to follow, but if we're not fit enough, we won't be able to follow Him. Lent is a great season to re-examine our lives and see how we can improve our spiritual health. For this reason, today we begin our sermon series in Lent based on Adam Hamilton's book, The Walk. In it, he offers us five basic essential practices that the Bible teaches, that Jesus practiced, and Christians through the last 2,000 years has used to grow and be the people God intended them to be. The five practices are worship, study, giving, service, and sharing. These may sound familiar to you because, as you might know, Adam Hamilton is a United Methodist pastor. So these practices are actually a modification of the version of the promises that we make when we become a member of the United Methodist Church. Um, those five things that we promise to do are prayer, presence, gift, service, and witness. So today we begin with worship. What is worship? Look around you. What, what are we doing here? Evelyn Underhill, a Catholic writer, opened her book titled Worship with these li- this line. Quote, Worship in all of its grades and kinds is the response of the creature to the eternal. Nor need we limit this definition to the human sphere. There is a sense in which we may think of the whole life of the universe, seen and unseen, conscious and unconscious, as an act of worship, glorifying its origin, sustainer, and end. End quote. So Evelyn writes that everything humans and beyond, all that God created is a reflection of God's glory. When we look at the plants around us that are green and they're, um, they're ha- making flowers and fruit, they are worshiping God. When we hear the birds singing or the bees buzzing or the lions roar- roaring, whether they are conscious of it or not, they are worshiping God. When we see the maple leaves turning their beautiful colors in the fall, or we see Rockford covered in snow, they are all worshiping God. On a clear night, when we look up and we see the moon and the stars shining, they are worshiping God. They all can't help but worship. But us human beings, on the other hand, we have a choice to make. We decide whether we will give thanks to God and seek to glorify God with our lives or not. We humans have a choice to thank God or not to thank God. 
As I think about saying thank yous and how my mom taught me to thank others, I remember the ultimate Tupperware battles she used to have with her friends. My mom would ask me to return a Tupperware that one of her friends had given to her. However, she wouldn't give it to me empty. My mom would always fill it up with something that she had just made as a thank you to her friend. Then when I went to return that Tupperware, her friend would then empty that, the contents and fill it with something else. Then later my mom would want me again to return that Tupperware with something else inside of it. So this Tupperware would go back and forth, back and forth, countless times until we have no idea who started the whole thing. Likewise, the earliest expression of worship recorded in Scripture involved bringing a gift, an offering to God, a sacrifice from one's crop or flocks as an expression of gratitude and love for God. This went back and forth, back and forth for so long that I think we forget who started the blessings in the first place. Sometimes we fall into the thinking that we bring our offerings to persuade God to bless us when, in reality, we bring our gifts as an expression of our gratitude towards God. God loved us first. Therefore, we worship. Worship is essentially an act of thanksgiving. The New Testament also offers us a Greek word that translates in English to worship. The word is proskuneo. I feel specially connected to this word because of the way uh, proskuneo was used in the Greco-Roman world. Here's a video that shows the word proskuneo in action. So proskuneo is what your dog does when you come home. Your dog is looking out the window for you, scratching the door, shaking their tail. They jump in excitement, give you kisses, all because they're so happy that you came home. This is one picture of what worship should be like. We are so happy to be in God's presence that we act a bit hysterical. The book of Revelation offers us yet another fascinating picture of worship. Revelation chapter 4 describes the throne room of God, where God is surrounded by winged creatures, as well as 24 elders representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. All of them are wearing these crowns. The winged creatures cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is coming. Then in response, the elders who have been wearing their crowns cast their crowns before the throne as a sign of humility, of humbling themselves before God. And they sing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things. It is by your will that they existed and were created. Quite the contrast, wouldn't you say? Yet both of these images are what we mean when we are talking about worship. We hear in our psalm reading this morning a call to communal worship. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. 
While we could worship on any day of the week, there is that one day above all others that we gather for worship. We call this day the Sabbath. We observe the Sabbath on Sunday because of its connection to Jesus' resurrection. In fact, we call all Sundays Little Easter's because it is the day we celebrate Christ conquering sin and death. Even during Lent, we can sing hallelujahs on Sunday because they are little Easter's. For this reason, we are also allowed to take a break from our Lenten fast on Sundays. At least that's my theological opinion. The book of Acts and the epistles tell us what the early Christians did when they gathered together for communal worship. They prayed with and for one another, giving thanks to God. They sang psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together to God. They broke bread together, sharing the Lord's Supper as a way of communion with Christ and one another. They confessed their sins to God and one another. They reflected together on the scriptures and the stories of Jesus, that they might be more faithful followers of Jesus. They sought to encourage one another, spurring one another to a life of love and good deeds. They collected an offering, expressing love and gratitude to God, while at the same time seeking to help others. Our thoughtfully planned worship includes elements of all of these practices. I think we do a pretty good job of incorporating all of these in our worship at Christ UMC. Notice also that these are all things that all believers offer to God with one another. Worship is not something that we attend. Rather, it is something that we all do. We do not gather to be entertained, to see our friends, or even because the pastor is a great preacher, all of those are bonuses. The pastors, musicians, liturgists are not performers. Instead, we come to respond to God's love and grace with praise and gratitude, offering ourselves to God and seeking to bless others. That's why we don't clap after our praise team plays or the choir sings. Rather, we say amen as a way of saying we agree with their worship because they're worshiping too. When we gather for worship, there is always an audience of one, and that's God. And when we worship with one another, we are recharged by the power of the Holy Spirit and made ready to serve God and serve others for another week. As we worship together, we also gain something that remains long after the worship service is over, a relationship with a community of believers. Now, uh, corresponding to our weekly worship with one another, it is important that we practice daily worship in our personal lives as well. Our daily worship is composed of both our prayers and our actions. If you're not used to praying and don't know what to pray, the most essential prayer you need to know is just, thank you, God, thank you. The fact of the matter is that we tend to complain far more then we give thanks on a regular basis. Let's be honest, admit that it is so easy to fall into that trap of complaining or even taking our blessings for granted. Sometimes 
we even regard expressing our gratitude as a chore. How many of us have ever woken up on Sunday morning and thought, do I really have to go to church? Guilty. How many of us make every effort to say thank you to other people around us? Now, if it's important to express gratitude to those around us, how much more should we regularly express it to the source of everything that exists and from whom all blessings flow? Now, we can talk about worship until we're blue in the face, but we have to actually practice worship for growth to happen. And to help us do that, I invite you to make a fist with your right hands, everybody. Whenever you see your right hand clenched in a fist this Lenten season, I want you to remember communal worship. How many of us have ever injured one of these fingers and found it so difficult to open like a jar of pickle or jam just because of that one finger? The five fingers together reminds us that we are stronger when we worship together. So this Lenten season, I invite you to make every effort to come to worship as often as you can. I invite you to get an A for attendance. Next, I invite you to take your left hand and wiggle those five fingers. I invite you in, Lenten, in our Lenten season to pray five times a day, even if it's just saying thank you to God. Pray first thing when you wake up, and then at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then before you go to bed. Just a simple thank you. Siblings in Christ, once again, this Lenten season, Jesus calls us and invites us to follow him towards Easter. Let us walk with Jesus and be a living hallelujah. Amen.